So if you haven't been here before, if you haven't been here in a while, uh, I want to share with you a little bit about what we're doing. So for the last 26 weeks, we have been studying the book of Acts. Now, if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, it is a history book located in the New Testament after the four Gospels. So it has Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. It is a history book that details the history of the early church and the first century Christians. And the reason that we're, st- uh, excuse me, dry throat. The reason that we're studying the book of Acts is because we are learning first century principles of how to live as Christians, first century principles of how to do church, and how we can do that better in the 21st century. And so, like I said, we've been going through this series now since the middle of May. And it's been a fascinating study in how the early church did things and how the early Christians lived. And so my hope for you is that you've been inspired uh, by the stories about Peter, Paul, John, uh, and uh, Stephen, and and the different characters in the book of Acts, that God uh, has been uh, working in you through this series to get you fired up for your faith. Um, This is a series that we are calling Unleashed. Uh, And the reason we're calling it Unleashed is because it's all about how God unleashed his spirit, his people, and his church to go out and change the world for Jesus Christ with the gospel. And the gospel is simply the good news about who Jesus is and what he did. And so we've been studying, like I said, this series now for 26 weeks. We're almost to the end. We've got two weeks to go, two more chapters uh, after tonight, 27 and 28. Then we're going to do something special after that. We're going to talk about how we write, are writing the uh, story of Acts 29. And so we're going to do that for the next three weeks. We're going to go Acts 26, 27, 28, and then we're going to talk about how we are writing the story of Acts 29. And then it's going to be Christmas time. Our series theme this year, our theme for Christmas is called Simple Christmas. Uh, and how we're just going to strip away everything that that just detracts from Christmas and get right back to the just what Christmas is really all about. And so we're going to do that for three weeks in December. Uh, and then we're going to be into 2021 and everything's going to be great and everything's going to be fine and everything's going to be better and everything's going to be normal, right? Yeah, from your lips to God's ears, right? Yeah, yeah. I, somebody was telling me about a meme they saw this week where somebody was turning a calendar page from December 31st, 2020. And they turned the page and said December 32nd, 2020. <laughs> Wouldn't that be the luck? Yep. All right. So we are in Acts 26 tonight. If you have a Bible or if there's a Bible near you, if you could turn to Acts 26. If you don't have a Bible, you can use a Bible app on your phone, like Bible Gateway or Version. Turn to Acts 26. Or better yet, we have our own app here at GFCC. You can go to your app store and search for GFCC, whether it's the Google Play Store or the iTunes Store, and search for GFCC, and you can get the GFCC app. You can follow along with the sermon notes. You can get notifications about all the stuff going on around here. And you can give your tithes and offerings and get uh, check out our weekly bulletin and monthly newsletter all through the app. It's very handy. So in Acts 26, we are with the Apostle Paul. He is in the city of Caesarea, which is on the western coast, uh, the western edge of the uh, strip of land in the Middle East known as Palestine. And so he's in Caesarea. He is being held uh, in the palace by uh, a man named Festus. And Festus was the region, the governor of the region. And in town was a man named King Agrippa. And king, he was the uh, designated king of the Jews, King Agrippa. And so Agrippa was going to hear 
Paul's case. The Jews had accused Paul of doing some things that he never did. They accused him of uh, uh, desecrating the temple, blaspheming God, blaspheming the Torah, that, that Paul had done all these terrible things, and Paul, in reality, hadn't done any of them. So the Jews wanted to kill Paul because he used to be a Pharisee, but then became a Christian. And because he turned his back on his Jewish faith, they believed that he was worthy of death. And not only did he turn his back on his Jewish faith, but he was also going out and telling other people to turn their backs on their Jewish faith. But that's not what Paul was doing at all. We'll get into that in just a second. So we're in Acts 26, where Paul is now before King Agrippa, and he is going to present his case to the king. Verse, uh, Paul gets up and says, I'm going, to, I'm going to talk. Verse 2 is where we're going to start. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. And so Paul's going to make his defense to King Agrippa about all the accusations that the Jews had made against him. And he's going to tell them exactly why he did what he did and how he does not deserve death and why he has appealed his case all the way to Caesar. We said last week that uh, Paul appealed his case to the emperor of Rome, to the uh, king of the Roman Empire, Caesar. And so he was going to go before Caesar um, eventually and plead his case. Kind of like when a court case gets pled all the way up to the Supreme Court. That's exactly what Paul was doing here. He's pleading his case all the way to the emperor, the king of Rome. Okay, so... um, Uh, Paul is going to continue on and and present his case. And he says, these people have known me ever since I was a kid and they know how I was raised. Verse five and six. They have known me for a long time and can testify if they are willing that I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. Now, Pharisees were were men who were completely and totally sold out and devoted and zealous for the law of Moses. For the first five books of the Old Testament, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah. They were completely devoted to the Old Testament and to the law of Moses. Verse 6. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. And he begins to talk about how the Old Testament prophesied that there would be a Messiah, that God was going to send a Savior into the world to save the world from their sins. And this Messiah would be crucified, that he would be killed, and then on the third day he would be raised back to life. Verse 8. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? And in other words, there's nothing that God cannot do. He can even raise the dead. And that's where Paul's hope was. Paul's hope was in what we just sang about, that living hope, Jesus Christ. That Jesus was dead, but God raised him back to life on the third day after he was crucified. God raised him back to life, and now Jesus lives forevermore. We talked about that last week. So uh, Paul was convinced that he ought to do. Uh, he ought to go against the church. That he ought to uh, destroy the church. That he should persecute the church. Look at verse ten. He says, "On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities." 
So Paul was obsessed with persecuting the church. He was obsessed with imprisoning Christians who used to be Jews. He was obsessed with overseeing the deaths of Christians. He was obsessed. The ancient Greek word, the New Testament was written in ancient Greek, and the ancient Greek word used there is the word mania. Uh, it looks like our word mania. And, and, and that's exactly what it means. It, to me, it means to be obsessed or almost insane with persecuting the church. He was so driven by it. He was obsessed with persecuting the church. And then he begins to talk about how he had an experience with Jesus. That he was on the road from the ancient city of Jerusalem to the ancient city of Damascus. And when, while he was on the road to Damascus, the Lord appeared to him in a bright light. And, and this light shone around him and it blinded him for three days. And Jesus appeared to him and asked him, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Because when you mess with Jesus' family, you mess with Jesus. And he says, you're persecuting my people, which means you're persecuting me. Look at verse uh, 17. So he tells him, you're going to go out and you're going to preach for me. He says, I will rescue you from your own people, the Jews, and from the Gentiles too. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive a forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Jesus says, I'm going to send you, you're going to be my ambassador, you're going to be my, cheer, you're going to be my cheerleader, you used to persecute me, but now you're going to celebrate me. You used to persecute my people, and now you're going to turn people into followers of me. Even though you were opposed to me, now you're going to start following me, and I have a special job for you to do. And he even told them back in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, that you're going to appear before the Gentiles and their kings, and here he is before a Gentile king named Agrippa just like Jesus said he would. And so uh, Paul goes on to explain how he got before King Agrippa, that he was in Jerusalem and he was seized by the Jews and he was made to uh, stand trial before the Sanhedrin, <clears throat> which was the Jewish ruling council of Israel, the religious ruling council of Israel. He was made to stand trial before a man named Felix. Felix was the governor of the region. And then he had to stand trial before Festus, who was Felix's successor. And now he's appearing before King Agrippa to defend himself against the charges that were made against him by the Jews. Look at verse 22. He says, I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. And so Paul is saying that, look, I'm not saying anything that the, that the Old Testament doesn't say. I'm not saying anything that the law and the prophets don't already talk about. They, promise, they promised that God would send a Messiah, and that he would suffer, and that he would die, and that he would be raised back to life, and that his message would go out to the entire world, Jews and Gentiles alike. He said, I'm not telling you anything new. And then he's going to make it really personal for Agrippa. Verse 24. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul. Remember that word that, uh, that was used for obsessed? It's the same word used here for insane or out of your mind. He shouted, your great learning is driving you insane. Paul says, I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. I've seen Jesus with my own eyes, he says. It's very reasonable that God has the power to raise the dead. And sure enough, God raised Jesus from the dead just like he said he would. And so 
he begins to, like I said, he's going to make this really personal for Agrippa. Look at verse 26. It says, the, uh, the king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has, to, has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. Verse 27. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Verse 28. And then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? I love this interaction. Hey, I mean, he, this is the king of, of Israel, the king of this whole area. And Paul's going to lay it on the line. He says, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. You're familiar with the prophets. You're familiar with this whole thing. And King Agrippa's like, you think you're going to convince me to become a Christian? Verse 29. Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. And he kind of reminds him, I've been imprisoned, and there was no reason for me to be imprisoned. And so uh, at that point, the king gets up with the governor, uh, Festus, and they leave. And as they're leaving with their entourage, they're all saying to one another, I don't understand why he's in prison. He hasn't done anything wrong. Why are they threatening to kill him? And Agrippa says to Festus, Paul could have been released he didn't have to, if he hadn't appealed his case to Caesar. If he hadn't appealed his case to Caesar, he could have been let go. This whole thing is a sham. And then next week, we're going to see as Paul leaves Caesarea and starts making his way to Rome to stand trial before the king of the world, Emperor Caesar. Okay, that's where we're going to go next week. But for today, for the rest of our time today, I want to talk about a passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a passage, uh, we'll put the words up here on the screen in just a second. I believe that this passage teaches us, Acts chapter 26 teaches us that we have a job to do. Paul saw it as his job to persuade everyone he could to follow Jesus. And I think we have the same job. We'll talk, about more of that. we'll talk more about that in just a second. But I want to show you some words from, from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And, and this is what 2 Corinthians 5.11 says. It says this, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. Paul's writing this letter to the churches in the area of Corinth. This is his second letter that he wrote to them. The first one was a, very, uh, a letter that he really let them have it about a bunch of stuff that they were doing and they weren't doing right. But they made some corrections to their behavior and to their belief. And then Paul writes this second letter to them to, to congratulate them on doing such a good job of doing that. And he says, we know that our job is to persuade others. And then in verses 13 and 14, he says this, and I love this wording because it reminds me of Acts 26. He says, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. And remember, uh, Festus called Paul insane. He said, are you, you are out of your mind. And Paul's saying, you know, if we're out of our mind, it's for God. Verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Jesus Christ, the son of God died for everybody, for every man, 
woman and child on this planet. Jesus died for everybody. He died so that anyone could come to him for forgiveness and salvation. Jesus died for everybody. And, and what does John 3.16 tell us? Everybody knows John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That God loves the world so much. And Paul says Christ's love compels us to share this message with people. Christ's love, it's not a, oh man, I get so frustrated and so easily frustrated when people, you know, want to browbeat people into the kingdom. They want to, you know, grab their Bible and just, I'm going to beat you into Jesus's arms. It's like, no, that's not what this is for. Or I want to, you know, or we're going to coerce you or we're going to bait and switch you, you know, or we're going to uh, guilt you into the kingdom. It's like, I'm going to make you feel guilty and so bad about yourself that you never, you know, that you, that you have to uh, turn to Jesus. You know, that that's not the tactic, you know. Christ's love compels us. That Christ loved us so much. And when somebody loves you, you know, and like somebody loves you, like think about the first time, if you have kids, all right, all right, think about, think about the first time that your kids like said, you know, I love you, mom, or I love you, dad. Or if you don't have kids, maybe the first time your cat looked up at you longingly and said, meow, 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 meow which is cat for I love you, mom. But think about that. You know, like the first time your kid told you that, you that they loved you and you're like, he said it, he said he loves me. You know, and you just wanted to tell everybody. It's like that kind of love. I mean, it gets you so excited that you want to tell other people about that love. That's what Paul is saying. And then look at verses 16 through 21. It's a longer passage, but it says this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. In other words, we don't see people through world's eyes. We see them through God's eyes. He says, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Oh man, is that not awesome news right there? That God doesn't count people's sins against them. That when you are in Christ, you are a new creation, you are a new creature, and God doesn't count your sins. He doesn't hold your sins against you. Like, we hold our sins against ourselves, don't we? Like, some of the dumb, boneheaded things that I do, like, I hold that against myself. Like, man, I'm going to be such an idiot all the time. And, and believe me, I am. And it's like, I hold that against myself. And, and, and God doesn't even do that. God doesn't hold my sins against me. And he doesn't hold his, your sins against you. All right, keep going. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us. He took all of our sins and put them on him so that in Christ, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That we might be declared right with God through Jesus. So what does this all mean for you? What does this all mean for me? Three things. All right. If you got your app, you can fill in some app blanks. If not, just try and remember these, okay? The first thing is you have a job to do, and that is to evangelize the lost. Like there are people who are who are who are not going to heaven. And you're like, yeah, he cut me off in traffic a little while ago. And that's not who I'm talking about. There are people that you know who don't know Jesus. 
And God's word is very clear. If you don't know Jesus, you don't go to heaven. And there are people that you know, there are people that I know that they don't know Jesus. And it may be a, a spouse, it may be a, a child, it may be a parent, maybe your grandparents or your grandkids, it may be your friends, it may be your coworkers, it may be your neighbors. There's somebody you know in your life that if Jesus were to come back in, I don't know, 10 minutes, they wouldn't go to heaven. Or if World War III were to break out and like half the country got nuked, like they wouldn't go to heaven. If they got hit by a bus tomorrow, God forbid, but if they got hit by a bus, they wouldn't go to heaven. And, and you have a job to do, and that is to tell them about Jesus. I can't do it for you, and your friends can't do it for you. It, it's your job. Jesus gave us a commission in Matthew chapter 28. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Like Jesus told us to do this. This is a commandment, not a suggestion. It's not like, hey, if you think about it, you know, why don't you tell a few people about me? No, Jesus said, go into all the world and tell everybody about me. Tell everybody about me. This is our, our job. We have a job to do, and that is to evangelize the lost. The people who don't know where they're going when they die, we need to tell them, this is how you get to heaven you got to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You have a job to do, and that is to evangelize the lost. Secondly, you have a message to share, and that is reconciliation with God. You have a message to share, and that is reconciliation with God. That there is a broken relationship. I, I don't know about you, but like when I am, have a broken relationship in my life, like when I'm not getting along with somebody, it could be a friend, it could be my beautiful wife, it could be something like that, uh, where, where we're not getting along and there's that relationship that's broken, it's usually my fault. I have, to do, I have to fix that relationship. I have to be reconciled to them. That once was a good relationship is now a broken relationship. Same thing goes between God and people. We had a good relationship with God, but sin broke that relationship. That relationship with God is broken, but Jesus came to fix that relationship. He came to reconcile that relationship, to bring two parties that are now separate back together. This is our ministry. This is our message, that the world can be reconciled to God by grace, by God's grace. It is a gift of his grace. They don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. They don't have to perform a bunch of good deeds there's not a lot of check marks that you got to, a lot of boxes that you have to check off. You got to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You do that by believing in him, believing that he is the son of God, the savior of the world. You need to repent from your sins. That means to turn away from sin and turn to God for forgiveness. Say, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to live for Jesus. You need to acknowledge your faith, confessing Jesus as savior and Lord. You need to get baptized. If you haven't taken that step of faith yet, I want to encourage you, start thinking about taking that step of faith. And don't wait, don't put it off. Take that step of faith. And this is the message that we share with the world. This is the message that has to come out of us. Again, we don't beat people over the head with the Bible to try and get them to go to heaven. It doesn't work. Uh, we don't guilt people into the kingdom. Oh, you're such a horrible person. Uh oh. We don't trick people. We don't argue people into the kingdom. We don't like fight people into the kingdom. It's not what we do. No, we love people into the kingdom. 
And that's the last thing I want to share with you is you have a reason to share this message, and that is the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus compels us that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus. And because God loves the world so much, we love the world so much. We should love everybody. There are people who make fun of me. I'll say, I love this person, I love that person, I love this person, I love those, those people. And they'll be like, you love everybody. I do. I do. I love everyone. Well, most everyone. I'm not perfect. Yet. But I love everybody. And I want everybody to go to heaven. And the reason I love everybody is because Jesus loves everybody. Jesus loves you, and he loves you, and he loves you. I love you too. Loves the people in the balcony. A little less than he loves us down here, but you know. He loves the people watching online. Hey, everybody. Jesus loves everybody. And so should we. And we got to love everyone. And we got to love them into the arms of Jesus because love is the only thing that changes lives. I told you that before. Love changes lives. It's the only thing that does. So you're not going to fight somebody into the kingdom. You're not going to fight somebody into heaven. You're not going to protest somebody into heaven. No, you got to love people into heaven. Because that's what Jesus did. That's what we're going to do. So I want to sum it up like this. We are compelled by Christ's love to persuade people to follow him. It is this love of Jesus that can change the world, that can change lives, that can change destinies. And if we will do this, if we will just love people in Jesus' name, and take this seriously. And we have to take this commandment to evangelize the lost seriously. That if we will love people like Jesus loves people unconditionally, unlimited, unselfish. If we will love people like Jesus loves people. And if we will share with them this message that we have of reconciliation. And if we will get serious about evangelizing the lost, we can change the world, my friends. I truly believe it. Because I believe that love changes lives and that's what the love of God did for me. And I pray that's what the love of God is doing for you. And I know that the love of Jesus can do it for someone else. So my challenge for you tonight is this. I want you to pray for someone this week you know who doesn't know Jesus. Could be your brother, could be your sister, could be your mom, could be your dad, could be your kids, could be your grandkids, could be your neighbor, could be your coworker, whoever it is that is popping into your mind right now. Maybe God's bringing somebody into your mind right now. Or maybe, or maybe there's somebody who's been heavy on your heart lately. I want you to pray for that person this week. I want you to pray for them five times this week. Pray for them five times this week. Just say, God, I want to pray for my sister. I want to pray for my brother. I want to pray for my kids that they would follow Jesus, that they, you would give me an opportunity to, to invite them to church or give me an opportunity to tell them about your love for them. And I'm telling you, it's a prayer that God loves to answer. He loves to answer that prayer. And the next thing you know, you start praying that prayer. I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to start praying that prayer. And all of a sudden, you're going to be telling them about Jesus. And you're going to be like, man, Pastor Sean was right. He was right. He loves to answer that prayer. So pray for that person five times this week. That person, whenever they come to mind, just pray, God, give me an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. And he will.